What's up, Bears fans? Welcome in to the Willis Twin Towers podcast. We're back at it again this Friday. We're your hosts. I'm Tim Willis, and alongside me here is my brother, Jeff. Jeff, why don't you say hi to the folks on this fine Friday evening? What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It's good to see you all again this week. Uh, major news, you know, this week we've had offensive coordinators been hired and quarterbacks coach been hired. So, We've got our sheriff and our deputy on the offensive side of the ball, rip-roaring and ready to go now. So without further ado, we'll, we'll get going on that here in a little bit. But just a quick reminder here, guys, um, please give us all a follow at Barroom Network on uh, X or Twitter, also here on YouTube. And if you might, don't mind giving me and Tim a follow also, I am at J-A-W-0235. That's J-A-W like jaw, 0235. And Tim is at Tim Willis 24. So like I said, guys, we, we got a lot to talk about today with the coordinator being hired. And uh, we got some candidates on the defensive coordinator, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, that is, that are, that are being um, interviewed for the defensive coordinator job. So we'll get to those also. But um, so I see there's already been quite a bit of chat here in, in, the, in the comments here between all you guys about some of the people who have been discussed and brought in for that defensive coordinator job and Tim and I will give you our our thoughts on those as well but I really want to dig in first and foremost on the most important news that we've heard recently and that's Shane Waldron being hired as the offensive coordinator and uh, we're going to get to our thoughts on that uh, but I want to mention real quick to you guys Tim and I were on Alexis Jade's podcast this week and Tim and I uh, had her on the show here early on when we first started doing this uh, a couple months back and we talked about this higher on there and we're, we're probably going to end up repeating a lot of the things that we said on there here tonight. But uh, if you guys get a chance to check that out, her, her uh, YouTube channel is Chicago bears. So go give her a, a check, uh, go, go check her out and see that episode with us. And, and um, it was some good stuff. So what, what thoughts do you have Tim first and foremost on this Shane Waldron hire before I start ranting too much over here? Well, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later about um, the view of Seahawks fans and Waldron and, and their belief that he's kind of got a little lackadaisical in the second year and got away from the running game. And he, he wasn't very good on third and short and fourth and short situations. And everybody keeps screaming. It's Getsy all over again. But you have to look at it from a totality standpoint. The guy's got three years in as an offensive coordinator and a pretty successful offense and team in general. Um, so me personally, I love the hire. Um, 
of the candidates that were interviewed, he was my top candidate that I would like to have seen hired. So I was definitely pleased with that move. I think he's going to be a good upgrade regardless of who the quarterback is, although I'm leaning one certain way, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But like I said, I think he's the perfect hire for either guy because he can work with either quarterback or whoever that quarterback is. It doesn't have to be, I I guess everybody automatically assumes if they draft at number one overall, it's going to be Caleb Williams, but we don't know that. It could very well be Drake May, Jaden Daniels, who knows? So, but again, I think he was the great hire for any quarterback that we bring into this system because we've seen he can make it work with multiple different quarterbacks at the starting helm. So I, I like it personally. And I've got some thoughts as well on the new uh, quarterback coach. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, Tim. And I just want to real quick say, I see all you guys in the chat uh, saying hi and, and and mentioning each other's stuff like that. Um, and also at the beginning, I saw a go Irish as many, you know, me and Tim are big Notre Dame fans. So I agree, go Irish, but we, we do have some, um, we, we do agree, Tim, you and I, with this with this situation with Walter. And I don't think he was brought in, you know, specifically for one quarterback or the other. I mean, that would, wouldn't make any kind of sense to do that, in my opinion. So, but in any case, um, he was my favorite candidate. As soon as we all found out he'd be available when the Seahawks decided they were going to move on from Pete Carroll, for those of you who don't know, um, the Seahawks decided to move on from Pete Carroll. When they did that, they gave the other coaches on the staff the opportunity to pursue op- other opportunities. And uh, the, as soon as that happened, I mean, I feel like it was within hours of that happening. The Bears had requested an interview with Shane Waldron. and it was certainly within a day. So um, they they went through a, a lengthy process of coaches that they interviewed for this job. A lot of different guys with a lot of different experience. One of them, uh, reportedly the, the, the runner-up in this process was Zach Robinson, who is the passing game coordinator for the Rams, and he's been the most popular offensive coordinator candidate across this entire cycle. So obviously it made sense that the Bears would bring him in, and the fact that they chose Waldron over him says something, um, at least to me it does. So, And the fact that Waldron is an experienced play caller, I think that was a big deal to them because there weren't a whole lot of candidates in this process that did have that NFL play calling experience because most of the ones that do are still calling plays for another team already. So, you know, again, I I think this had nothing to do, and I'm going to go back to this point. I don't think it had anything to do with the quarterback that could be here because again, it wouldn't make any kind of sense. I'm sure he came in with a plan of how he was going to fix Justin and also with how he would develop a rookie quarterback coming in. So we're still a long way away from that process. Um, I do want to dig in a little bit into like the, <clears throat> the pro like the, because there's a big debate lately I've been hearing about with, well, if you keep Justin versus if you go with Caleb and if it's just Justin versus Caleb, or if it's Justin and picks versus Caleb. And there's a lot of misconceptions going on with that. So I do want to dig into that a little bit later. So if you guys don't mind reminding me about that, but to stay on track here with Shane Waldron hiring, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to like about, the offense that we're going to see here. We're not going to have to change a whole lot schematically. Uh, It's basically the same offense that we were running before. He's a a Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan tree uh, disciple here. So, you know, this whole thing is going to come down to, you know, in my opinion, it came down to them not wanting to change the offense too much, but also bring somebody in who had success running the offense. Cause as we can see, 
from Green Bay and from these other offenses like the Rams. It's it's not the offense that's the problem. It clearly has been an issue with the execution of the offense. And in my opinion, someone who wasn't calling the offense right and wasn't developing the players and teaching the players correctly within the offense. And that brings an issue with, you know, why we are where we are hiring a new offensive coordinator. So in my opinion, like I said, he was my favorite candidate. As soon as we found out he became available, as you guys know, in past episodes, I did like other candidates such as Pep Hamilton, who was never actually interviewed or brought in uh, to my knowledge as somebody they wanted to talk to, which was a little surprising. But that being said, again, guys, like I said, they want, it sounds like they wanted to stick with that offense, which is why most of the candidates they brought in run this scheme. So in my opinion, like I said, great hire. I love what we're going to see from him, and we'll dig into that a little bit more. I want to give one quick shout-out before I shift over to Tim again um, to Swift, uh, Swifty, Swift Sports Network. If you guys want to give him a follow on YouTube, he put out a really, really good video, uh, I believe it was today, about the schematics of this offense and what we can expect to see and some of the creative play calling and some of the things formationally that Shane Waldron likes to do. And I think you guys will enjoy it. It's a really good video. So go and check that out. It's at Swift Sports Network on YouTube. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow, guys. So give him a follow. Go check that video out. It'll be good for you guys to see what you can expect from Shane Waldron. Yes. So I actually want to um, start here by um, if we can get Cliff's comment on the screen. He had a comment about interesting how um, – Kerry Joseph has never worked with a rookie quarterback before. So I, let's, let's dive into Kerry Joseph a little bit. So for those of you who don't know, the bears did hire Kerry Joseph. He was the assistant quarterbacks coach in Seattle with um, Shane Waldron. Kerry uh, Joseph actually didn't have, I don't believe any NFL playing experience, but he was a CFL quarterback for a long time. He was known as a dual threat. He actually won the MVP in the CFL. Um, so he definitely has experience playing the quarterback position. And I thought it was very interesting that he was a dual threat quarterback and he was a good dual threat quarterback. So that kind of is a good sign uh, leaning towards the quarterback that we have and possibly one that could be coming in. They're clearly leaning in that direction, I would think. And obviously those two are two of the better ones that we've seen. Granted, Caleb Williams hasn't played it down in the NFL yet. We do know he has a lot of ability and potential as far as his ability to scramble and play off script. So um, I thought that was a little bit interesting that he was the choice there over a guy like Greg Olson, who had a ton of experience, whether or not they offered him a position, I don't know, but just the thought of there were other guys with plenty of experience that they could have possibly talked to for that. Um, But I, I personally like it. Um, And I wanted to point out, I do think that's a little bit interesting as well that they did not, or excuse me, that he has not worked with a rookie quarterback. Um, now granted, I don't think that necessarily matters. Um, you know, you're going to find, you're going to hire the guy that you believe is the best, um, person for the job, regardless of whether or not he's worked with a rookie or not. So I, I personally, I thought it was a pretty good hire. I don't know much about him, but just from what I do know, um, I like that he is a dual threat guy. I like that he does have experience playing the quarterback position at a high level even if it's not the NFL, the CFL, there's still some good good football players there. And, you know, he like I said, he won an MVP there. So he, he's got experience playing the quarterback position at a high level. Um, so I do like that part about him. And just for the spark of a little bit of a debate here, 
Um, not that you'll necessarily debate it, Jeff, but just just a little food for thought from my opinion on the situation. I thought it was pretty telling in a couple of ways. Um, I know a lot of people are going, they're hearing the situations that the Bears are in, and, and everybody's got a difference of opinion on this. But from what we've heard from polls, from what we've heard of Eberflus, from what we've heard um, from players, um, what we heard from Kevin Warren, um, there's plenty of confidence in Justin. It led me to believe that they were sticking with Justin. But on the flip side, there's people, lots and lots of people, it's about probably a 50-50 split that believe that that meant they were going with Caleb Williams or whoever the quarterback is going to be in the first pick overall. They just seem to feel like they are defending him. And the reason that they're defending him is because he's the quarterback right now, but they feel like he's, they're going to move on from him. There's so many different things going on right now with that. Um, but to me, that was pretty telling. Originally, I felt like that was a pretty good sign that they're going to stick with fields. But if you look at all the moves that they've made so far, to me, it almost leans in that direction, even more so than before, even though people will argue that. So, Jeff, just out of curiosity, I want your thoughts on this. To me, with the hiring of Shane Waldron and what he did with Geno Smith, it led me to believe, you know, he may it, it could be an alluring factor that he could, you know, potentially get the number one pick already um, and pick his quarterback. But to me, the what he did with Geno Smith, how he turned his career around, he might be looking at this situation and saying, I mean, I could do that with, with Geno Smith, and, and he doesn't have nearly the talent and the ability that Justin Fields does. Let's see what I can do with him. And it also, you know, with the quarterback, or the, excuse me, the quarterback's coach, to me it almost seems as well like he's a dual threat guy. And, you know, Caleb Williams is a dual threat as well, but, he, you know, he leans more into his arm than his legs, whereas – Justin is really 50-50. He's a really, really excellent um, quarterback with his legs. And I feel like that's leaning, again, towards a reuniting of Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. So I guess, in essence, what I'm asking is, do you feel the same way? Are you getting the same um, vibes off of what we're hearing and what we're seeing as I am? Well, first of all, let me just start by saying that Kurt, uh, Kerry Joseph, I don't think he's been coaching quarterbacks for that long in general. So that being said, it's, you know, be, it, the fact he hasn't coached a rookie yet doesn't mean that he won't ever. And it doesn't mean that they hired him because he, you know, because he's had experience working with veteran quarterbacks like Geno Smith. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. I just think, well, first of all, I want to mention that a lot of people had thought that Greg Olson, who was one of the people who was interviewed for offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback coach under uh, Shane Waldron in Seattle, a lot of people thought that he had the potential to come in and be the quarterback's coach here. Now, that being, you know, I don't think that was ever going to be a real likelihood. And Greg Gabriel on his podcast, as you guys know, if you watch that, had mentioned several times that he didn't see that simply because of number one, He's interviewing to be an offensive coordinator. He wants to be an offensive coordinator. And if he interviewed for the job here, he wanted the job here. And it's you don't necessarily want to take a, a demotion, in essence, to just coach the quarterbacks when he's probably going to have opportunities elsewhere to be a coordinator. So I feel like they wanted to get that hire done. And Olsen probably would have been a candidate for that. But Kerry Joseph was willing and able, came in and 
maybe there were other reasons behind it. Like maybe he feels like Waldron that is feels like he's a better teacher or something, or he just will work better with whatever quarterback they have in a room. Or I don't know the reason behind it. It's hard to say because um, Dave Canales was the quarterback's coach the year before um, the year before. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on his name now already uh, the year before he got there. So my point is, is that it's hard to say why exactly, you know, they brought in who they brought in, why they hired the guy they hired, but he's got experience working with him. And I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with what the, who the quarterback's going to be. Now, that being said, he obviously does have experience working with Geno Smith, but Geno Smith had already basically turned his career around by the time that Kerry Joseph had gotten there. So, you know, the one thing I do want to make a point of, though, is here is that Kerry Joseph did play safety in the NFL for a short period of time. So he does have the perspective of offense and defense, both playing quarterback in the CFL and playing safety here in the NFL. So I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic there as, as for the coach to see to show field, fields or whoever the quarterback is that perspective, you know, that look, you, you know, you, here's how you would normally see it through an offensive perspective, but here's how you need to look at it from a defensive backs perspective. This is what I'm seeing as a defensive back when I'm on the field watching you. So yeah, I guess to, to answer your question, Tim, um, I don't know if I agree that it, it's because of the fact that they've got the quarterback in stow already that they want, because again, like many people have already mentioned, I think that, this is going to go all the way down to the wire that this decision isn't going to be made for a while yet. They're going to have to go through the combine and do the interviews and like the top 30 visits and all that. And you can bet your bottom dollar guys that Caleb Williams and those other, you know, top quarterbacks will be top 30 visits for the bears. And they're going to talk to them and they're going to get as much out of them as they can. And they're going to do their work and investigate on these guys to see what kind of football character they have. So again, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with quarterback, but I don't know if I answered your question entirely there, Tim, or not, but. I'd say you, you answered it. Basically what I was looking for. I really was just trying to get your idea and what you thought about that. One thing I do want to say real quick though, guys, about Shane Waldron that I saw. Um, and I, I put this, I want to make sure I get this whole thing out. I, I wrote it down on my phone here because it was a note I wanted to mention to you guys. So check this out with Shane Waldron when he went to Seattle. This is important to note with Justin Fields, who has an awfully long time to throw from what we've seen in his career. He, he, he holds the ball longer than most quarterbacks do, and he's taken a longer time to throw the ball after the snap than most quarterbacks do. So I wanted you guys to hear this stat. It's not exactly a stat, but I don't because I don't have the numbers here. But both Russell Wilson and Geno Smith's time to throw went down from their career averages when they were with Shane Waldron. And I think it's important. This is a different note um, outside of a quarter outside of the offensive coordinator debate. But I want to mention this later too, guys, as far as the quarterback debate here, you guys saw in that game against Atlanta, how fields was slinging the ball in the poor conditions in the snow and the bad weather and stuff like that. Not every quarterback can do that. I just want you guys to keep that in mind. Okay. That's, a, that's something that's very important for us to consider here in this entire debate before we get back to the offensive corner because I know I'm going off on a tangent here. But Fields throws the ball 
pretty well in poor conditions. And we've seen other quarterbacks in the NFL who struggle to throw the ball in poor conditions. It's been happening lately. Brock Purdy struggled to throw the ball in the rain, if I'm not mistaken. So Even the almighty Peyton Manning struggled in the weather. Peyton Manning struggled in poor weather at times. So I think we have to keep in mind here, guys, that is something we're going to see in Chicago is poor weather. So, you know, like I said, I don't want to get off on a tangent with the quarterback thing because we're still talking about the offensive coordinator hire, but that's an important thing to keep in mind. But again, the, the time to throw was the point I wanted to mention. And, and everybody's career that he's worked with in Seattle be, between Geno Smith and Russell Wilson, both their average time to throw or their, their time to throw was down from their average time to throw throughout their careers. I think that's an important note for both Fields and Caleb Williams if he's here because he also is a guy who likes to hold the ball and play off script and look for the big play. Well, that kind of, you know, that makes me think, is it just Waldron or is it just the offensive style that he has that helps the quarterback in that regard? Because think about it. Russell Wilson already had a long career before Shane Waldron even got to Seattle. He had probably a borderline Hall of Fame career with a Super Bowl win and, a, and two Super Bowl appearances. And he was known as one of the top, probably five, definitely top 10 quarterbacks at that time when Shane Waldron arrived. So to me, if he's even, you know, who, Russell Wilson was already established at that point. He'd already been playing for a long stretch of his career. He's already set in his ways as far as how he plays the game of football. And if Shane Waldron walks in and all of a sudden Russell Wilson's time to throw drops, to me, that sounds like it's just the kind of offense that he was putting those guys in in a, in a position where they can get the ball out quickly, even if they're not process. Or it get, To me, it sounds like he's giving them more time to process by giving them less time, if that makes sense. Meaning the the routes are shorter concepts. It's There's hot routes. There's ways to get rid of the ball quickly and not have to think as much and not have to process as much information, which is polar opposite of what we saw with Luke Getze. And hence why we why a lot of people believe, including myself, that that is why Justin struggled getting rid of the ball, because, again, no, never hot routes. I don't think I ever saw a hot route in a single game that we've had this year where Getsy dialed that up. Um, there was no short route concepts where guys got open outside of the terrible bubble screens that we saw every 30 seconds of a game or multiple times in a row. Um, got guys crisscrossing, running into each other um, just a lot as far as as the routes went just poor. There was a lot of poor design in a lot of ways and, and not a lot of ways to scheme guys open early and often for Justin to have less processing and more uh, time to just get rid of the ball quickly. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good, and I'm glad you've looked that up and found that because that leads me to believe that that's probably a scheme thing or not necessarily a scheme because it's basically the same scheme, but maybe it's a Waldron thing as far as how he schemes within the scheme. That's a lot of me saying the word scheme, but um, I think you all understand what I'm trying to say here, that his style could very well benefit Justin, especially in that regard. So, yes. Um, so let's uh, let's walk into this uh, defensive coordinator stuff, Jeff, if you don't mind here. So there's a lot of discussion in the chat um, about Joe Barry being interviewed by the bears for defensive coordinator. If you have not heard yet, Joe Barry was fired from the Packers um, after the playoff loss, and he has now been scheduled for an interview with the Chicago Bears, um, as well as Eric Washington, um, the Bills' assistant head coach and defensive line coach. Um, but 
there's a lot of debate back and forth. A lot of people are very nervous and worried and don't want to bring in another Green Bay coach. But before we really start to debate this, Jeff, I want to point out you cannot. It's like it's like when you're scouting for players in college, you got to scout the player, not the jersey. And we talk about that all the time. So to me, yeah, they may both come from Green Bay, but you can't look at the failures of Luke Getze as an offensive coordinator and automatically assume that that means Joe Barry wouldn't have success in Chicago as a defensive coordinator. Not to mention he's running the defense, but he's not necessarily calling the defense. Let's remember Matt Eberflus, that's still his baby. Like the defense is still his strong suit. If you don't think he's got a hand in how they run the defense, you're wrong. Obviously he did this year because he was calling the plays and obviously he was basically the acting defensive coordinator, even though I know he um, allocated some of the responsibilities to his other coaches, but again, that's his strength. And he's obviously going to have a hand in it. If not the majority of, of the defense will be his responsibility. But again, you got to scout and you got to, you can't just assume that he's going to fail because of Luke Getze. Number number one, Luke Getze had never called plays in the NFL. Luke Getze had never been an offensive coordinator. Luke Getze was a quarterback coach for a quarterback that was already a Hall of Famer before he even walked into Green Bay. So as far there, there's not a lot of experience or things like that as far as um, the offense went and Luke Getze calling plays and being the offense coordinator. Joe Barry has been the defensive coordinator already. He's already shown that he has had a top tier defense in the NFL. Granted, he had a ton of first round picks. I'm not saying I'm supporting one way or the other if they did hire Joe Barry, but I can definitely think of worse candidates they could bring in. Not to mention, you got to think as well, he could bring insight. Like he schemed against that defense every day in practice. You know, he if if you don't think he's going to have some ways to stop that offense a little bit, you'd be crazy. Those guys work against it all the time. So it's not necessarily a bad hire. I don't, I wouldn't hate it. It's, I don't want to say that it would be my top choice, but I don't hate it. And like I said, that defense is Matt Eberflus's baby anyway. So I think everybody needs to pump the brakes a little bit on the fact that he comes from Green Bay and just see what, what happens, how this goes. All right. So there's a comment in here that Aldo makes. And I want, if, if you're willing, Aldo, I'd like you to put that on the screen. So the Bears DC will, and I want to say this before I make my comment, the Bears DC will primarily be responsible for setting up the practice schedule for the week and helping Eberflus devise the game plan for upcoming opponents. He'll also be responsible for work with position coaches on player development. Now that is very important. And I'm really glad you said that, Aldo, because that to me indicates something. So at least in my opinion. So if you bring in a guy like Joe Barry, who is a respected coach and obviously knows the game and you can say whatever you want about opinions with him. If you bring a guy like that in to be your defensive coordinator, he's going to want to call the plays. That's how it goes, guys. He's, he's a respected coordinator. He's done it before. He's going to want to call the plays. And as we saw last year, when Eberflus calls the plays in his defense, as opposed to somebody else, it can be a little bit different. Okay. So I'm not sure that I want to lose Eberflus as the defensive play caller right now. So, well, can now, I, can I point with that really quick? Go ahead. Can, before can, I we continue. Let, can we let Eberflus call plays for the first three quarters and then let Joe Barry call for the fourth quarter? Is that <laughs> I possible? don't think that's going to happen, but <laughs> in, any, in any case, 
you know, and so another thing too, guys, is for as well as the Packers defense played against the Bears, they didn't play all that well against everybody else throughout the season. And there's a lot of Packers fans and people around the league that, you know, weren't real happy with the way Barry's defense was playing and with the way he was running it. So you, that's there's that argument first and foremost. And, you know, I'm going to sound a little crazy when I say this because there's a, it's just a little bit of like anxiety I have, I think. But it's like it almost felt like when Luke Getze was coaching against the Packers, like that he was sabotaging the offense to lose against his former team. And there's like this worry I have that if we bring in a, a guy from Green Bay to coach his defense, it's going to be like, oh, my God, here we go again. We're seeing the same thing against Green Bay's offense now. So, but that being said, you know, they pretty much lit up Eberflus too. And again, before I go into, before I go off into a tangent, Eberflus mentioned when he first came in that he likes that Shanahan style offense because it gives him trouble. So he brings in another offensive, offensive coordinator who runs that offense because he just got shredded by another guy who runs that, runs that offense correctly. So that's my opinion on that front. Now, going back to the defensive coordinator part. Um, there's two other um, candidates who are reportedly being interviewed or have been interviewed already. And the first of which is Chris Harris, former bear, as many of you already know. And I want to bring him, the importance of him up is because number one, he's never been a coordinator before, but he's known around the league and really respected around the league as like a teacher. And he's, and he's obviously a, an expert with defensive backs because that's, you know, the, the, the position he played. So it'll be nice to have a guy like that come in and you have a different perspective outside of linebackers, which is what Eberflus specializes in. And on top of that, you get a guy who can learn how to do the defensive stuff, who can learn how to be a true coordinator at the NFL level while also doing those other responsibilities. And Flus still is probably going to call the defensive plays then. So you get a little bit of the best of both worlds there. You get a guy who you feel like you have a lot of confidence in coming in and doing the job, which Eberflus is basically the defensive coordinator already, guys. He runs that defense, or at least he did for most of last year because he had to. So if you bring in a guy who doesn't have as much experience running the defense, it's not as big of a deal as getting a CEO for your offense who's done it before, at least in my opinion. So you bring in a guy like Chris Harris, which is my personal favorite at the moment between the, pe the people who have been interviewed, I think is your best chance to keep continuity with your defense, but also allow Flus to continue to call plays. and. You know, the, the bottom line, though, is we got to get better against defending Green Bay's offense and that that Shanahan offense that we've had trouble against because it continuously picks us apart. And we, if we want to take the north, like Ryan Pohl said in his original press conference, we're going to have to be able to do that. Well, I'll start by saying I really like Chris Harris as well. And, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of bias because he played for the Bears and he played under Lovey, and that defense was so dynamic and elite back then. And Chris Harris was a big part of that. Um, so I do like that about him. And just just bringing back homegrown guys, I'm a I'm a fan of that at any sport, any level, anything in life. I like bringing back the homegrown guys. Of course, I would prefer a guy that's going to do the job well. Um, but I also like um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Bills. Uh, assistant head coach, the defensive line coach that they've interviewed, um, Eric Washington. I like him as well. And a lot of why I, I like him for one is because he is a defensive line coach. And if we want to talk about the one big area of weakness 
on the defense, it is 100% the defensive line. And, you know, I know that Travis Smith was um, a disciple of Rod Marinelli, but at the same time, he's not necessarily done very well. Now, he had success with Montez Sweat, but who hasn't? So I just look at it like, you know, of the guys that have been drafted, um, the other pieces that were brought in, what have we seen? Yannick Ngakwe had a down year and a massive down year as far as he's concerned. The guy has had nearly double-digit sacks every year. He's never had less than eight well, in the season. He did get hurt, though, at the end of the year, and he was starting he to come on a little bit. He was, but before that, he what do he have? Three sacks on the season? Well, before? to be fair, though, the entire defensive line pretty much sucked ass before Montez Sweat got there. So, Well, this is what I'm getting at. Where was the development on any of those guys? They're, well, they're you're right. I agree 100%. So, I mean, there's just not – you know, maybe he's not, maybe he's not a developmental coach. Maybe he, he coaches a good scheme, but at the same time, we've heard Matt Eberflus preach that he wants coaches that are teachers. And if you're not teaching at your position for, if you're a position coach and you're not teaching that position and they're not learning and growing and getting better, you know, I'd have to say that maybe it's time to move on, but Regardless of that, and if they maybe they do like him and want him around. So if that's the case, it would be wise to bring in a defensive coordinator who does specialize with defensive line and can maybe coach up uh, Travis Smith a little bit and help him be a better coach. So, again, I, I like that hire. I like that idea. Um, and let's face reality, Buffalo has had a lot of success over the last few years. They've uh, not gotten that Super Bowl yet, but they're building and they're doing things the right way. And, and, and it's not just what they're balanced. They're good on offense. They're good on defense. They've made a lot of really good moves in the draft. They've coached very well. Those guys have developed very well, not a whole lot of free agent signings or trades. They just built the team. Well, you know, it's homegrown talent. So I do like that. I like, I like the idea of Eric Washington. Um, yeah. If well, I had, to choose, if I had to choose those two would be my top two. I'd say real quick, uh, there's a point Balco Barry just made about Eric Washington could help persuade Leonard Floyd or AJ Epenesa to come here. I just saw something from Leonard Floyd today that he said, guys, that I want to make real clear before before we get to anything about thinking that Leonard Floyd might be a possibility because he mentioned, I don't know if it was today or in a press or what, but he said he was going to go wherever the money was. So keep that in mind. He's looking to be paid and he's, he's only getting older. So Ryan Poles has shown he's only going to give, as Gabe, as Greg Gabriel mentioned on the podcast the other day, GTF, he's only going to give long-term contracts to younger players who have, you know, are either going to continue to grow or have, you know, a, a, quite a bit of time left in their prime to play under if he's going to give them long-term money. So that's my take on that part. But um, Eric well, Washington, I don't, I don't think he's going to want to have anybody um, that he has to cut and he's got to pay after they're gone. I think he just wants to make sure that these guys are guys that are going to have success and continue to play well under their entire contract, under the entire, in, under the entirety of it. So, yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to sign anybody that isn't going to get through an entire contract. Yeah. And uh, he's got it right on the bottom of the screen here. Aldo, uh, that Leonard Floyd on free agency, I'll always go where the money goes. That's pretty much exactly what I just said earlier, guys. So as far as Leonard Floyd, I think that's pretty much a pipe dream. I do, like I said, I do like Leonard, um, Eric Washington, but here's a point that Greg Gabriel made about Chris Harris, guys, that Aldo's got on the screen. 
I have not been around Chris Harris as a coach, only as a player where it, where, uh, it was like a coach on the field. People who know Chris as a coach all say the same thing. He's the real deal. So there it is right there, guys, a ringing endorsement. And, you know, we all who watch Chris Harris play, you know, when he was around with the Bears, we all respected his play. He, he played hard. And that's exactly what, you know, the Bears are looking to do now. And if he's going to be able to coach these these guys on the defensive side of the ball to do what we're looking to do and what they've continued to do over the end of the season last year, then we're going to be in pretty good shape. And like I said, I like him as a candidate because we get to keep the continuity of Flu's call on the defensive plays, which he's shown to be an extremely good defensive play caller. And like our defense was just called much better at the end of the year in general. So he started to realize what our strengths were on the back end. And it was just working out that way better. We were sending more people in uh, to blitz with, sending more people to pressure. And that was working out better. So hopefully we get to the point where Flus has said before he likes to bring four. And, you know, hopefully we can get to that point. But again, guys, Chris Harris makes a lot of sense because of that. But no, I wouldn't mind Eric Washington. He's had a really good defense over there. But again, it's the same thing as Joe Barry, guys. If you bring over Eric Washington, he's probably going to want to call the defense. Agreed. He probably will. And, you know, I don't think Eberflus is against turning over play calling duties. I really don't. I think he just wants to make sure it's somebody who has experience and is going to call well a good defense. I don't think he is necessarily against turning over play calling duties, but I, I'm at the point where I might be against him turning it over. But at the same time, it's like, even if he's not against it, there's going to be there's going to be consideration of like whether you actually still want to do it or not, because look how well it worked out. I mean, even if you're not trying to be like, if you're trying to be humble, if you're trying to, you know, say, Hey, there's these other people have done it before, you know, Alan Washington and Alan Washington, Alan Williams had run, you know, called defenses before too, with the Vikings, he was the coordinator and he still brought him in to do it here. And he was terrible. So that doesn't always, this is, it's not always the answer. So I just feel like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And right now it's not broke. So, or broken, I should say. So to me, <clears throat> That's the that's the route I would go, and I think that's the route they probably are leaning, simply because there's history there. He, he knows the defense. This is exactly what they want to do. And again, like I said, it's like a stepping stone for him. Guys, he's going to get to learn how to be a coordinator at the at the NFL level, and he doesn't have to call plays yet. He gets to see how somebody else does it first, you know, firsthand right in front of him, and then maybe he starts to learn from Flus over time how to do it, and maybe he starts to give him a little bit of opportunity to do it like in the preseason or something, you know, or as time goes on. So we'll see, but that's personally where I'm at right, right now with the, with the defensive coordinator search. I, my, my personal favorite is Chris Harris. Well, I do think um, that honestly, I don't think Eberflus originally wanted to call plays because he wanted to focus on the team as a whole. And he wanted to make sure he was getting around to the offense, the defense and the, and the kicking game and make sure that everything was all systems go and everything was clicking on all cylinders. I think he just wanted to be that um, overseer, like he had originally said, you know, um, he wanted to be over the entire team. And then I think once Alan Williams resigned or was forced to resign or however that went down, I think he probably realized that, you know, once he, knew that he could get those other coaches and, and the, the game plan was all staying the same. And those guys took respond a lot of responsibility on for him. And 
really he just had to focus on calling the plays during the game and he didn't have to worry about putting all the meetings together and doing all of those different things. I think he realized it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a task. So, you know, I think he wanted to call plays. I think he's always wanted to call plays because he loves doing it. And he's said that on record. Um, so I think once he realized that he could and everything could still run all systems go, now he's kind of like, well, maybe I don't want to relinquish my play calling duties. I love calling plays and we were, we were winning games when I was calling plays. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I do think that a lot of that played into that. The fact that it was almost like a seamless transition. Um, and it didn't help that he's got guys like John Hoke on staff who could very well be a head coach in their career at some point. Maybe not now because he's getting a little older, but he's got a ton, a ton, a ton of NFL experience. So, you know, again, maybe or maybe not as far as the coordinator coming in to call plays, but even if they did, or excuse me, if they didn't, I don't think anything's really going to fall off, especially if Eberflus continues to call the plays. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, like I said, I don't want to beat a dead horse here or anything, but I just, I feel like, like I said, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And at this point, it, like I McFack brings up a good point here. You want someone in, in like Chris Harris, who understands the secondary, if only four rushing. And I like, I like that point because that is a good point. I mean, and you know, they've got a good coach and John Hope back there coaching the secondary already. So if you have another set of eyes that can kind of, who's played the position recently to kind of maybe give another perspective back there, those guys that can only help. So maybe, you know, yeah, it's, I think it's smart to do that because then he can say to Flus, well, Hey man, like, you know, because we know Flus likes to, you know, play off coverage sometimes and, and not bring a whole lot of guys in pressure. And, and that can lead to, you know, getting picked apart like he did early in the season. Maybe a guy like Chris Harris comes in and says, Hey man, look, I know you like that play call, but you're really like asking a lot of our secondary here doing that on this, on this down. So maybe we should consider bringing some pressure or something here. So that's a good point. McFact. I think that's a really, I think that's an interesting take that we didn't really think about a lot. So I think it's a good, it's a good thing to think about. You get a guy like that in there, a coordinator who, who understands secondary play more so than linebacker play and can say, Hey dude, maybe we should reconsider something with, because of our secondary here. So but you could say the same thing about bringing in a defensive line coach, you know, who's, who well, can say, hey, man, you're asking a lot what, of us here. That's what I was going to say is, you know, that makes, you know, I think it's good to have, you know, if Matt Eberflus is the head coach, but he's, you know, a linebacker by trade and he's he's been a linebacker's coach, that's where his specialty lies. It'd be good to bring in a defensive coordinator that is maybe a defensive line coach or a, or a corner or, a, excuse me, a secondary coach. You know, that'd be good because now you've got differences of opinion there and and not necessarily differences of opinion, but multiple facets of things you can look at. You know, you got multiple eyes, multiple ears, um, guys that have both seen things from a different lens and a different scope. So, yes, I agree. I think that could be a very good thing. You know, I wouldn't necessarily want, you know, two linebacker coaches or your head coach and your and your uh, defensive coordinator because, you know, there may not be they might be on the same page about everything. And that's not necessarily always a good thing either. You know, differences of opinion are a good thing. So, um, yeah, but, um, you know, we've kind of gone on and on about this for a little bit. Um, I want to actually respond to a question I saw on here um, because this is kind of the hot topic right now, especially on Twitter. 
let's get into the Jim Harbaugh thing really quick. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do want to mention this. And here it is right here. And King Pookie Nation asks, are the Bears going to regret not hiring Jim Harbaugh? Before I answer that, I first want to say, you know, good for Justin Herbert. Because you know what? That guy has been an excellent quarterback from the start of his career. Walked in and thank probably thanks to Pep Hamilton in a lot of ways. But Justin Herbert has been, uh, he is over, he's played above expectations from the very beginning. And, you know, I feel for him because I really like Justin Herbert. I think he's one of only like three or four quarterbacks in the NFL that can do some of the things that he can as far as arm talent. The guy has an unbelievable arm. He makes good decisions. He gets the ball out quick. You know, he just hasn't had any wins. They're not winning games. And I don't think that's all on the offense or it's on so much on Justin Herbert. You know, they had Brandon Staley, who was a defensive minded coach, has Chicago Bears ties and Vic Fangio ties. And he's a good defensive coach, but he's not a good head coach. And the defense was not good when he was there. So, you know, there's a lot relying on that offense. And I just don't think that he ever really had a chance. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, Justin Herbert's weapons, how many weapons he has. Well, for one, he doesn't have a tight end at all, really. Not much of one. Um, You know, his number one receiver is, you know, he's a good receiver, but is he really a number one? You know, he's more of a, he's a, he's a security blanket receiver. In my opinion, he's a great route runner and he catches everything in his coming his way. But he's not a burner. He's not going to burn anybody long. He's not going to go up and get the contested catches. It's not that's not his style. That's not his game. He's not elite, in my opinion. He's a good wide receiver. He's not elite. And I'm talking about, of course, um, uh, help me refresh my mind, Jeff. Um, Chargers number one wide receiver. You're muted. <laughs> Keenan Allen. Thank you, Keenan Allen. I kept, I had K in my head. I was thinking of myself because I don't want to like end up making too much noise when you're talking. But no, I knew, I knew it was with a K, and I was going to say, I kept thinking the wrong name. I was like, just stop, stop, Tim. So, um, (laughs) yes, Keenan Allen. And then Mike Williams, you know, he's their, he's their go up and get it guy. Um, He was hurt all year last year, too. Exactly. He's hurt all the time. He's, he's an injury risk. They don't, they don't really have a lot of weapons over there outside of him. And yes, Eckler's good in the run game. He's good in the short passing game, but he's a running back. He's not, He's not a receiver. So they don't have a whole lot of help for Justin Herbert. And to me, you know, they're going to, they're bringing in a guy in Jim Harbaugh who is a nut, but he does win. That's what he does. So to me, that was like the perfect hire for, for the chargers. If you can deal with the nutty, that's a good person to bring in there because you know, he's going to turn around. He's, you know, he's going to win games and that's what they need to do is win games. They have talent. You know, I think Tom Telesco was the scapegoat and all this. He's a good GM and he's brought in good talent. That's why he didn't stay on the, you know, most of the time when GMs get fired, they don't get another job as a GM ever, if not for a long, long time. And Tom Telesco was, you know, on, on, uh, as a free agent for what, a couple of days, maybe a week or two, you know, he was hired pretty quickly. So I really like, um, what they've done. And I, and I think that Harbaugh is a good hire for them, but to answer the question, I don't think they're going to regret hiring Harbaugh, but I'm not, I'm not huge on Jim Harbaugh. I'm not one of those guys that uh, washes his balls. I I just don't. I think Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. Again, he's a little nutty and some other things, but he also can't stay in one place for a long period of time. He gets 
booted out everywhere he goes or pushed out the door everywhere he goes. You know, Michigan wanted to keep him, but it's college, and he won their first national title in how long? Yeah, although it says on here Harbaugh has a lot of ball washers, and he really does. Like, a lot of people are all on Jim Harbaugh. But I just don't – it's not – it wasn't my first choice regardless. Even if they would have hired Eberflus, I could think of other head coaches I probably would have rather had. Um, but, yeah, he's a good head coach. He is. I mean, he, he's he's proven that. But again, and I've said this many times on here, that I don't think the McCaskies would ever even allow Jim Harbaugh to be hired in Chicago. So, yeah, you, know, you can play the hypothetical game all you want, but, you know, I just never saw an avenue where he was going to be here anyway. So, no, I don't think that he's going to, um, we're going to regret that decision. But, Jeff, I want you to go ahead and answer that. You're muted again. <laughs> Just keep it unmuted. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna you leave talk it over me anyway. What's the difference? <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good point. But so to answer the question, but before I answer the question, I want to make a point that Jay Grizz says, an, as an Irish fan, it's hard to root for Harbaugh, and I totally agree with that. Being a Notre Dame fan and him being in Michigan, because I completely and utterly despise Michigan. But that being said, um, as far as whether we'll regret the decision to hire Harbaugh. The only way we regret it is if he wins a Super Bowl with the Chargers and we don't win a Super Bowl with the Eberflus. If that happens, then, yeah, you probably regret it. But if the Bears win a Super Bowl with Matt Eberflus, I don't think anybody's thinking about Jim Harbaugh. I can tell you that well, right now. And here's the other so, thing. How many Super Bowls has Jim Harbaugh won? Well, he's, he hasn't won any. He's been to one. But he's won yeah. everywhere he's been. He's had success everywhere. Yeah. And to be, to be fair, yeah, the National Championship of Michigan this year is the first time he's actually won, won anything. Like won a championship at any level. And he didn't coach half of the well, not half the games, but he didn't coach four of them. Yeah, I mean he's, you know, he he hasn't won until like won an actual championship until this year. So, you know, can't could he could he walk into L.A. in that situation though and win and maybe get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl? Yeah, probably. But look who he's got behind, got to play there. They've been, you know, that team has been so underutilized. I guess is I don't know if that's the appropriate word to use, but they have been definitely not not used correctly for several years now, that personnel over there, because they've got a damn good football team. They just, you know, they need to be winning more than they do. And there's an old, there's a saying that goes around, around Twitter and from Chargers fans, they call it chargering. These different things that happen at the end of games, they say, well, here we go, we're chargering again. So underachieving, as Osama Ben Willis says, and that feels like a troll account, but I'm not going to say anything about that. So underachieving, yes, uh, I I feel like that is exactly what they do in with the Chargers. And I think Harbaugh could come in there and, and turn it around and, and win with them. So, yeah, I feel like if, if he wins there and we don't win here with the Eberflus, yeah, it, it probably does come back to bite us in the ass a little bit. But that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens with that. Um, there's another question that was in here that I want to get to before we run out of time um, that, that uh, Cliff asked. Is, he says is, we need as much info as we can get about the assistant coaching hunt. Who should the Bears go after? And the reason I want to bring that up is because, um, as many of you know, there's a couple other assistant coaches that were interviewed or potential assistant coaches that were interviewed. And one of them was Sanjay Lal, who was the wide receivers coach in Seattle. He's been a respected wide receivers coach in a league for quite some time now. And reportedly, he decided to uh, withdraw his name from the Bears from being a, a, a in the bear search. So there was a tweet from Greg that I read earlier, Greg Gabriel, that mentioned that a lot of times when that happens, when you see a coach withdrawing their name, it's because they're not getting the job. 
And he said after that, that to be fair, it could mean that they also couldn't come to an agreement on money, which also wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me being that it's the bears, but Kevin Warren's in charge now with that stuff and not Ted Phillips. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any judgment on that or come to any conclusions until I see how, how Kevin Warren works with, with people like that and you know, how those kinds of things go with money. So that being said, um, a lot, there's a lot of reasons that could be at play there. I don't know who they could be bringing in for other candidates as far as other coaches like that. Um, at this point, I would imagine he's going to bring in coaches from his, from his previous staff if he can. And then any, any other up and comers that they can see in the league, and maybe they'll probably promote some people on their own staff would be my guess. Because when you're talking about position coaches, you know, it's a lateral move for most people in the league. So you're really going to have to start again, either promoting from within or just finding guys that, that want to change the scenery or something. So, you know, it's hard to say who they could be bringing in. I would just kind of keep an eye on who they're interviewing guys, because if if we do that, we'll kind of get an idea of what they're looking to do. You have a comment on any of that, Tim? No, but I don't disagree. Um, It remains to be seen until what we see with Kevin Warren. Again, like you said, I hope it's not the case, but you know, I have a hard time thinking it. It is, you know, if, if, if your coaching staff is telling you, this is the guy we want, or Ryan Poles is saying, this is the guy we want. This is what it's going to take to pay him. He's going to help us win a super bowl. I don't think anybody's going to tell them, no, you can't pay them this, that, or the other. So yeah, I don't think so. Um, but I wanted to, uh, respond to a question on here. Actually it was by Aldo. He is asking um, that well, he's stating really ESPN um, writers are predicting that Chase Young is going to sign with the Bears. Here it is right here um, that he's going to reunite with Montez Sweat. Um, so I want to first say to that, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I would be very surprised if it did happen. Two reasons, two probably more than two reasons. But number one, you have to remember the money situation. Yes, the Bears do have cap space, but you also have to pay possibly a quarterback. If you keep Justin, you have to pay Jalen Johnson. You have to fill other needs as well. I don't see them putting more assets money-wise into another pass rusher. And not what you're going to have to pay Chase Young because you're still going to have to pay him a good chunk of money. And Poles has already told us that Jalen Johnson's not going anywhere. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get a contract extension, but to me, that does, you know, that kind of confidence in the answer is not, well, we're at least going to franchise tag him. To me, that's a, you know, we plan on him being here long term. So to me, no, um, I don't see that happening. I don't see them signing Chase Young. And it was interesting. I was listening. I think it was Courtney Cronin that I was listening to say this on uh, um, ESPN 1000. And the question was asked to her about um, Chase Young. And and well, the question was actually, do you, did Montez Sweat, you know, um, say there was anybody that he would like to um, – bring to Chicago with him or anybody he was going to push for in free agency. And he said, no, uh, he didn't give any sort of inkling to anything. And, you know, a lot of, you know, if he really felt that strongly about a guy, most players would say, yeah, I would, I, I'd love to have him here. You know, that'd be, or, you know, if they ask a question, yeah, I would love to have him here, but you know, he didn't mention any names. He didn't say anybody in particular or anything like that. So 
maybe he doesn't want to play with Chase Young anymore. And, you know, they, it's not like they were winning a whole lot of football games in Washington with those two together. But I don't know. That could play into it as well. Maybe it's not somebody that, that he would even want to play with. And, yeah, I'm sure that Montez Sweat would be um, – that would be mentioned to him if they were, in fact, looking to sign – um, chase him. Cause they're going to ask, you know, what, what do you think about chase? You know, you guys played together, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure they would use him for information, but yeah, I don't personally see it happening. And you know, NFL insiders on ESPN are always right. You know, as we all know, so we'll see, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. Just my opinion on it. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I'll try to make it quick, but in my opinion, I don't see chase young happening. And there's a couple things I want to say in regards to it. There's, so first of all, guys, typically when it comes to free agent edge rushers, they usually don't hit the market because they're edge rushers and teams don't let them go most of the time. And if they do let them go, there's usually a reason for it. I don't think personally Eponese is going to hit the market. I, I know Buffalo is going to have some issues with cap space from what I understand. So it's possible. Um, but I, is he really the guy you want to put opposite of Montez Sweat? I feel like they need to get a difference maker. And to me, I feel like they're going to look to the draft to do that. I feel like they're going to look to draft one early. Um, and so there, it brings me to two points here. The first one is the one that Aldo makes, and that's that Pulse promised to bring back Jalen Johnson if he signs Chase Young to a multi-year contract. That would lead me to believe he's drafting a quarterback and trading Justin Fields. Now, that's an interesting part at the end, but the first thing I want to say is if you do, you, you're not going to let Jalen Johnson go, obviously, so that's going to cost money. Tevin Jenkins is going to be looking for a contract pretty soon. He's played to a level where he's probably worth extending. You got some other guys on the roster who you're going to have to consider extending soon. Do you really want to commit big money right now to your defensive line, to two defensive ends, when you're going to have to pay some other people too? And then if you do that, I think Aldo's got a good point. You probably are going to have to, at that point, look at you know moving on with the rookie quarterback because eventually you are going to have to pay Justin too at some point. So – that kind of limits you in a little bit of a little bit of ways because you got a lot of money going towards your defensive line. Now that being said, that leads me into the last question that we're going to have time to answer here. I think so. Frank wants to know who do you guys want with the ninth pick? Are you trading down from nine with for draft capital, especially since you pick CW one? Well, first of all, I don't necessarily agree that you're going to go for sure with Caleb Williams, Frank, but. Um, and Tim, go ahead and, and with your point before I say what I want to say about the ninth pick, because it has something to do with what I've been saying. I do want to answer this because I can, I will emphatically tell you what I would like to see. So number one, I don't think they're taking a quarterback. Number one, I think that that's where you trade down is at number one, you pick up maybe two or three or somewhere up in the higher end of the round, get you a, a, a second round pick that you don't have this year get another first round pick for next year. Well, let me hold then, you right there because first, so here's the problem with that though, Tim, and there's been some talk about this. This is the misconception I was talking about earlier. So guys, I, look, I'm on, the, I'm on this boat. Like, you know, if you want to move down to three and take Marvin Harrison, I would love that idea, but I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you move down from one to three, you're not going to pick up a first round pick next year. I could almost guarantee you're not because you're not moving down that far. The, the premium in that area, I mean, yeah, they're going to pay a premium, but yeah, it's probably a second round pick and more. I'm not sure that you're going to get another first round pick next year. If you move down several spots, now you're talking about a first round pick next year and probably quite a substantially bit more. But I, I just don't know about moving down two spots for Marvin Harrison and getting another first round pick. I just don't see that happening. But I would like to see Marvin Harrison. I just, Like I said, I just don't think we're going to get another first round pick next year if you do that. 
I emphatically disagree. Emphatically. And here's why. Everybody's talking about how Caleb Williams is a generational quarterback. Teams will 100% overpay to go get that number one pick for him. That's why they'd be moving up to get Caleb Williams. They could 100% get a first-round pick next year because somebody is going to overpay. It's only going to take one team that is willing to overpay. And it's going to happen. I'm telling you right now, somebody will overpay for that. That is true. I mean, I mean, like, here's the thing, though. It's like, but here's the thing: is it really there's only one team there, guys? You got to consider Osama. I see what you're saying. You'll get another one. That Tim's. I, I see where you guys are coming from because of this premium thing. Okay, you'll get another one because it's a premium, and somebody. It only takes one team to want to go up and get it. But here's the thing, guys: there is only one team in this scenario that's really you really can make a trade with that's going to give you an opportunity to still get Marvin Harrison. And that's the Patriots. I mean, obviously the Washington commanders would be another well, let me team. Let stop you right there. Because one of those two teams would have to give you a first round pick next year to want to go get Caleb Williams. But who's to say that, that they automatically want Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe that's not the number one receiver on their board. I know everybody else is also saying, yeah, he's the generational talent at wide receiver. And I agree. He is, but you're going to move down further than three then if you're not going to draft Harrison, Tim. If you're going to move down to draft a different receiver, it's not going to be – you're not going to take a different receiver at three. I don't even well, think it's neighbors at three. I'm not I mean, of the mindset that they're necessarily only going to move down to two or three. They move down to five or six maybe. It's all going to depend on who is offering because there's going to be a team that is desperate that's going to move up, and they're going to want that pick. I think there's going to be a massive bidding war, a massive bidding war for that Well, pick. there is – but that's that's why I think what's going to end up happening is is I don't think that I don't think they're going to get Harrison. That's what I would like to see happen, guys. Look, I would love to see if they can move down to three, pick up a first round pick next year, and still get Marvin Harrison. I'd be like, let's go. I'm all about it, you know. But that's that being said, we kind of got to get back to who we think they would take at nine, and that that's kind of why I want to mention this because well, you know, let me go ahead and finish what I was going to say. Let me go, go ahead, ahead and finish, and I'll let you cover it. So I'm of the mindset I don't think it's happening where they get down to three and they get Marvin Harrison, I just, I would be, I think that's a pipe dream. If we're, if we're really thinking they'll get three, get the extra first, get a second and still have the nine. I think we're very wishful thinking there. I think he's probably going to move down a little bit further and really get more assets. But I think at wherever he does pick early, because I think he's going to stay in that range. I think he's going left tackle early. I think he's, I, I know everybody says that Braxton Jones and Greg Gabriel will argue with me emphatically, but I think that we saw a lot of struggle from Braxton Jones, and you have to be good in the trenches, especially at left tackle. And I think that there's a very strong possibility that they go with Joe Alt or they go with Fashanu, whoever they like most. But I do think at number nine, that's where you take the receiver, and I think it's going to be Roma Dunze. In my heart, I'm hoping it's going to be Roma Dunze, but I do think that that's a guy they probably like, especially when you talk about the combination of speed, size, route running, hands all of it together he's a monster he's a he's a threat at all points of the field they should have gotten in the ball more in the national championship game the guy is a difference maker immediately from the start he's going to walk in and be a starting wide receiver in the nfl and a very good one at that well so here's so first of all let me actually answer the question and then because we got to make this quick so let me ask you actually answer the question what i would like to see them do is move down from one to three if they could do this move down from one to three Pick up the extra first rounder, get Marvin Harrison. Then when nine comes around, either if you don't have a good enough package where you can move down again and pick up another first rounder next year, which to me would be like ideal to where you have three first round picks next year. 
if you can do that, that's what you do. If not, I personally love Dallas Turner. And I think that's right in the area where he's going to go. I think he's got a ton of upside. The Bears need an edge rusher. And I think he's going to be an absolute monster at the next level. He's just, he just needs to, he's, he's only going to get better. He's just not quite there yet. I think he's a perfect fit for what, what the Bears want to do too. I think he's, he's got the length. He's got the twitch. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism, the explosiveness. I think he's a great fit there. So, so I would say if you, if you stay at nine, I think Dallas Turner is a really good fit there. If you already took your receiver. Now, if they get a bigger, if they don't move down to three, because they got a huge haul to move down further than that, then I think you take a receiver like a Dunze and then maybe stay at nine and take Dallas Turner. You move down again, in my opinion. One of those things happens. If you I think don't take quarterback. I think, I think no matter what the situation is, whether they keep one or not, they will move down with one of those picks and they will pick up another one and a two. I think that's ultimately the number one goal that he's, well, I think they'll for sure move down for sure with at least he's one of them. He's gonna yeah. want, he's going to look to pick up an additional one and he's going to look to pick up a two. It's almost, I would almost, I would bet my bottom dollar on it. I would be willing well, to, they bet. don't have a second rounder this year. So they'll definitely my be looking exactly. to get a two this year with my one of those exactly. move downs. And I, I wouldn't, I would also anticipate they're going to be trying to pick up an extra first rounder next year as well. I yes. would not be surprised to see more moving down with, I mean, to see a couple move downs here, guys, with the with the Bears in this first round this coming season. I mean, I, there's just a lot of opportunity to accrue a ton of capital. And if they're not convinced that the quarterback that they want is there, and even if they do move down, you know, maybe they like Jane Daniels. You know, maybe they like maybe they like Drake May. One of those guys is there at three, like, well, let's just take this guy. Or maybe they move down further and, they, you know, they move down like the 10 to 15 area. And they're like, well, we kind of like this McCarthy kid in this area. We're going to take him you know, and work with him and see where he goes, you know, while Justin starts for a year, that would, you know, be an indicator that Justin's gone after this season, but maybe that's the direction they go. You know, there's so many different scenarios here, guys, is the main thing you need to understand. And there's so many different things they could do. I just, I, I can tell you one thing they're probably not going to do is move up for anything. I just think that they are going to, and I, Osama Ben Wallace makes the point, if you're going to still take the quarterback, just stay at number one, which you can make that argument. It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking to take a quarterback that you want to start like soon, yeah, you're going to either stay at one or somewhere in the first round, but maybe, maybe they want to just take a developmental guy for down the road. Like, you know, like in the later rounds, you know, to see if maybe they catch fire with a guy who can develop behind fields, you know, like a, like a Brock Purdy type thing. I know that's kind of like a flashing, you know, we don't see that, you know, ever. It's kind of a, an anomaly, but again, you know, maybe they look to do that, get some in the later rounds and try to develop them behind fields for a little bit and see how that goes. But again, guys, if you move down in the first round several times or a couple times, or even once you're going to have extra ammunition next year to go get a quarterback. If it doesn't work out with Justin, you need to do that. Maybe it's not number one, but maybe it is. Maybe you have enough to where you can move up to number one. You never know. So we're going to run out of time here though, guys. We got I just want to close with one thing I will say really quickly about that. Again, I don't think they're taking a quarterback and I want to, I want to give you a little nugget before we go, everybody. So all the analysts, everybody that you hear talk a lot, you know, it's about, you know, there's a good divide, whether they should keep Justin or they should move on to Caleb Williams. But what is one thing that no analyst or anybody that's an expert on football has ever said? And that's that teams can't win with Justin Fields. Has anyone ever said that a team cannot win with Justin Fields? As a matter of fact, it's about the opposite. Everybody says if they send him somewhere else, he's probably going to win somewhere else. So I just want to feed you that little nugget before we go. 
because I think that's something to really think about that nobody's really said. And that's that no one is saying you can't win with Justin Fields. So I think it's, yeah, we do need to wrap it up, Jeff. This was a really good chat today. Good conversation with our chat here. Good questions, guys. Um, made us really think a lot today about a lot of this stuff. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Like Jeff said earlier, give us a follow at Tim Willis 24 at jaw 0235 on Twitter. And we'll see you guys next week. Stay classy.